Hello and welcome back to How's the Water, our less than occasional podcast about books. I'm Gary and I'm joined by my host Sienna and today we're going to have a slightly lighter episode. Uh, Yes, today we're asking some rather uncomfortable questions that might challenge what you think you know about the Bronte sisters. Now, none of the sisters married before they became well-known writers, except Charlotte way later on. And Emily was famously reclusive. How could the sisters have been so familiar with the details of romantic relationships? Why did Charlotte go to such great lengths to suppress Anne's work after she passed away? Why was Patrick Bronte so opposed to her marriage to his curate, Arthur Bell Nichols? And were the deaths of Branwell, Emily, and Anne just a little too convenient? No, no, they weren't. (laughs) Well, that's what James Tully thinks. And he wrote a book about it called The Crimes of Charlotte Bronte. Yes. So we'll be discussing that before getting into our favorite poem by each of the three sisters. Tully tried to get the book published as non-fiction, but this was rejected by his publishers, so he changed it into a fictional account. But we should say he did do a lot of research that involved analysing letters, biographical information, historical data, all related to the time period in general, and then drew his own conclusions from that. So the book has two narrators so it's structured into two different narratives the first narrator is charles coates i think that's how you say it who is a partner in a firm of solicitors he claims to have found a deposition hidden in a bureau signed by martha brown who was a maid at the bronte parsonage the book then switches between the deposition with notes from charles coates at the end of each chapter Um, It should be noted here that while Charles Coates is a fictional character uh, and that firm of solicitors doesn't exist, I I have looked for it on Google, uh, Martha Brown was a maid who did work for the Brontes at the Parsonage. The book then is full of, shall we say, slightly or very spurious allegations about the Brontes, including uh, ones about Branwell, but more than anyone about Arthur Bell Nichols, uh, who was the curate at Haworth. So on to the allegations. It's alleged that, number one, Branwell was sacked for abusing a 13-year-old boy named Edmund Robinson, whom he was tutoring, which also caused Anne to leave her position with the Robinson family in Thorpe Green. It is generally thought that he was having an affair with the wife of the family. Uh, In this allegation, he then blackmailed the whole family, saying that he will reveal the scandal unless he regularly receives payments from them. It's also alleged that Emily Bronte plagiarized parts of Wuthering Heights from (gasps) Branwell. No. This is the reason that the book has its unusual structure. The the thing that we mentioned in the last episode where it kind of goes, it starts at the end or near the end and then goes back and then returns towards the end. Mm -hmm. Branwell wrote the first part of Wuthering Heights and then... Emily took up took took over really. took over from yeah. there yeah so he kind of wrote the framing kind of part of it and that's why we have the switch between narrators mm-hmm. uh, allegation number three uh, Arthur Bell Nichols had an affair with Emily Bronte and poisoned Branwell to keep him quiet about his part in the writing of Wuthering Heights yes <sighs> um, he then confesses this to Emily 
who in turn tells Anne, who writes it all down in her diary conveniently. Oh. Emily is then poisoned by Arthur Bell Nichols when she becomes pregnant. Mm-hmm. Then Charlotte helped to murder Anne in Scarborough as she had her eye on marriage herself to Arthur Bell Nichols. Yeah, the final allegation is that Charlotte, who is largely depicted as an awful woman, was also poisoned by Belle Nichols, who is by that time her husband. And it's therefore alleged that he had a hand in murdering all four of the Bronte siblings. Mm -hmm. I believe that James Tully uh, had a look at some of the correspondence that Char- it's mostly Charlotte's correspondence, and we'll get into that in a little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, he kind of looked at their correspondence and he read really, I think he read too much into some of the things going on, but Charlotte was quite ill when she passed away. Yeah. And she was pregnant. She wasn't married for that long to Arthur Bell Nichols before she died. And so I think he was like, oh, he must have murdered her. So uh, it's all very juicy. But is it true? Um, well, let's talk about that a little bit and then say whether we agree or not. I, I think maybe our lovely listeners might have detected our thoughts from our tone thus far, shall I say. I could say really that whether I was willing to be persuaded or convinced or not, I was still really looking forward to reading this as a piece of kind of pulpy sort of fiction with a bit of scandal. Certainly after reading the sort of Bronte books which are which I loved but are quite heavy I was kind of hoping for something slightly more lowbrow and I was also kind of expecting or hoping for some kind of compelling points with evidence but for me I found it very silly and I think a lot of it he was really really reaching for motives uh, motives that there isn't much evidence that they exist no exactly I feel the same way I I thought that it, it it would make a lot more sense than it did. But yeah, he just, the way that he presents the information and then explains it, it's a bit like, how did you get to that? Okay. Mm. Uh, it just ended up being the blind gossip of Bronte books, really. Mm. And what's nice is that, you know, there are so many, so many, so many books about the Bronte sisters, each kind of having their own twist on like giving some new insight into who the sisters were and what they were like and their lives. Mm. So I, I thought that this was going to be something like that, but it, it, it so wasn't. No, I know. I was, yeah, I was kind of, you kind of as well looking forward to a little bit of like uh, life at the parsonage, if you know what I mean, even if it was fictional, just kind of seeing all the kind of sisters together interacting. Um, but I think another problem I had was that all the murders happen really, really early on in the book. So all, all the sisters and Branwell are all done away with quite quickly. Um, Except so that, for Charlotte. Charlotte uh, yeah, hangs on for most of the book. But that's yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. So Charlotte's there for a long time. And the bits, obviously it's been narrated by Martha the maid and she's just obsessed with getting together with Arthur Bell Nichols. And personally, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't really care. <laughs> if, no, they're really so, care they yeah, uh, it doesn't like, it's not the most exciting narrative and no. yeah it reminded me a bit of have you read morrissey's book are you aware of who morrissey is i do yes yeah. i do we live in manchester we do live in manchester you, yeah he's, yeah he's hard to escape from i walk i walked past a picture of him yesterday um 
I thought you were going to say I walked past him once. No, no, I might have a few <laughs> things to say to him these days if I did walk past him, judging by the uh, political route he's gone down. But I, I did read his book um, a few years ago and it's it's all right actually it's, it's reasonably well it, no it's very well written because you know he's very articulate um, but he just covers the smiths like really really briefly and they're kind of over and done with and then there's just bits where he goes on about there's a court there's quite a famous court case involving the smiths a long time after they split up and that is i think that bit in the book is longer than the bit about making the music and stuff because he feels very aggrieved about what happens there rightly or wrongly i don't i don't and really want the to mistake say. is that nobody cares about that really I mean, yeah. more people want to know about the smiths so yeah exactly or about your music about his music and stuff mm-hmm. and the what he's thinking about maybe as he's creative process yeah exactly yeah and um, that kind of thing or looking for a bit of personality behind the songs even if that's helpful or not and yeah you don't well the personality that you do get it seems like one that's (laughs) finds it very hard to get over something that happened like uh, yeah before the book was written so um d minus to james tully Mm. uh he wrote a story that's readable but unfortunately no plot really that matters i i think he kind of he needs to go back to creative writing 101 i think when it comes to that's very harsh (laughs) i know it's easy to say that well you write a better one sienna maybe i will yeah okay well i I look forward to writing the crimes of arthur bell nichols and as it should be yeah the the crimes of how's the water yeah um another problem with with the book here. So Tully, as we said before, he goes to great lengths to prove his allegations. Uh, For example, uh, based on accounts, written accounts of Emily's illness, he asserts that the type of diarrhea or constipation she had was more in line with poisoning than diarrhea that typically happens with tuberculosis, like gross. Mm. And also, how can you be sure of that? So I I, I can understand completely why his editors were like, no, no, you can't say this and try and publish this as nonfiction. You don't, really don't want to organize. Um, sorry, I just said <laughs> I really don't want to offend the Bronte Parsonage with any of this. I may. I don't. I don't know if this is true. I think this book came out in 1999. Now I seem to remember. Now I don't know if it was James Tully or not because this is over 20 years ago. But listening to a radio program, probably around that time actually, where a man was on claiming there'd been a lot of murder in the uh, Bronte Parsonage and there was a woman who was from like the Bronte Society or something and she was like appalled by what Uh he was saying like oh this is just not true Um, was it James Tully I believe it may have been but I don't know because it's a long time ago but Uh it would the the timeline would definitely fit it would probably be around the time that he would have been promoting the book I think yeah I can't be I can't say that for sure Yeah, he well, there's plenty of that in this book, just Mm. weird things where he's clearly just looked at letters and then he's looked up the symptoms of poisoning. Mm. Oh, so (laughs) yeah, I don't I don't really agree with that. So that's one problem that permeates like the entire time throughout Mm. the entire book. And it's a bit annoying. Yeah. And I think there's um the fact that it's called um, The Crimes of Charlotte Bronte for me is a misnomer as well. Uh-huh. I mean, she, she in this narrative, she does uh, kill her sister, Anne, but really it's Arthur Bell Nichols who's the 
criminal, well, who's committing all the crimes uh, that happen here. And she only kills this one person, I think, and then kind of helps to cover up the other ones. So she's an accomplice. Uh, Yes, yeah. At the the worst. Well, I mean, she does murder, I suppose. But um, yeah, Mm. for the most part, it's all Arthur Bell Nichols portrayed as like a weird cartoon villain, like rubbing his hands together, being like, oh, soon my yeah. darling i will and it's very it's just a bit like okay it's yeah yeah and while silly. he's do while he's doing this all the women in it are falling for him so apart from Anne, i think so emily has an affair with him charlotte likes him mm-hmm. uh, martha brown really likes him two of those mm-hmm. women two of those women know what he's up to mm-hmm. um, and emily's just depicted as very very kind of naive and i don't know i'd like to feel that maybe you should give women a bit more credit than they just fall for the the one man that turns up, especially if he mm-hmm. turns out to be like an evil, like poisonous. evil Irish person. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Not against any Irish people, by the way. Before we alienate any Irish listeners, I do apologize. A whole country there. A whole country. Yeah. So sorry. Yeah. First France with Jane Eyre, <laughs> and now Ireland. I'm so sorry. No, uh, but yes, I don't. Um, yeah, Tully seems to have a thing. Uh, specifically against like Charlotte. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. All throughout the book, he's really, um, and again, he's speaking through Martha. She is his mouthpiece, but you know, there are some quotes that I've taken from the book. He calls her a spiteful little woman. He calls Mm -hmm. her prudish. Yeah. It says um, Charlotte wrote passionate, but sometimes pathetic love letters. And um, he would say she's ugly all the time. Just man, she's ugly. Yeah, there's a lot about her appearance in there, and it's yeah, quite I'm... quite misogynist. I think quite a mm. lot of it. You know, I mean, it's you know, she wrote like a few great books. Surely that's better, or than the way you look. Surely, yeah, like, and should it's, be remembered for. He really fit that in wherever he could. Yeah, he, was, yeah definitely, and it's quite yeah. nasty. It's quite nasty, I think. About yeah, and I, again, it's very clearly taken from correspondence with friends who knew her well, like Elizabeth mm. Gaskell. Yeah. Um, who would come out and say, yeah, Charlotte was homely and plain. And then he's just mm. exaggerated that into like, oh, she was ugly. And yes, Charlotte Bronte, apparently, everyone agrees that Charlotte Bronte wasn't even a cute looking girl, I think. Mm-hmm. But you don't need to call her ugly over and over and over as if that's like her defining quality. Yeah. Yeah. He sort of really lays that on very thick. And yeah. You know, I know it was the 90s, but aren't we um, moving past just judging someone's personality by their appearance, really? It, yeah, it feels it feels quite toxic, I think, that part of it to me anyway. Yeah, it's crazy how outdated that is. Mm, Even yeah. And it was only 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah, so. it's just, yeah. Overall, would we say, would we have a positive review for the crimes of Charlotte Bronte, would you say? I uh, do not care for this book. What would you say about it? I would not recommend it, to be honest, even as a piece of, you know, like a like uh, a piece of light reading, if you like. I was just not interested and I was not engaged by it by any point. And I found it kind of frustrating. And actually, for what it's uh, alleging, quite dull as well. I just didn't care. To be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, you could make it exciting with a title so, like that and material like that. He could have, I think, jazzed it up a, 
a little bit more. Maybe, yeah. I don't know if telling it from the point of view of Martha was such mm-hmm. a good idea because she's just not an interesting enough person. Yeah, and again, yeah. like you said, it's a lot about her and Arthur Bell Nichols. And it's like, I don't care. Don't care about you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I came here for the Brontes. <laughs> and you're, yeah, you, yeah, I'm here for the Brontes, not your... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> your interludes as a scullery maid and all of your you know the drama going around being a servant moving to ireland there's a whole part where she moves with arthur bell nichols to ireland right Mm, yeah there is yeah towards the end (laughs) i'm just thinking like i don't care no they're all dead (laughs) why 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 are we still here Uh uh-huh but um don't, don't really care for it no Um, Now, you know, for all the book's allegations, there are a few things that I can understand he's taken that are a bit strange. Mm. And he's tried to explain them. For example, after Charlotte died, Nichols um, demanded her friend, um, Ellen Nussi. Is it Nussi? Yeah, yeah, I would probably say Nussi, I think. Yeah, Yeah. she had a very good friend. Um, Elizabeth Gaskell and Ellen Nussi were very good friends of hers. And he demanded Ellen Nussi burn all of Charlotte's letters saying they were dangerous as Lucifer matches. Mm. And that's weird. Ellen refused. And that is why we know so much about the Brontes because Ellen Nussi published Charlotte's letters and made them available for everyone to read because she thought that Charlotte was an interesting enough person for people to know. So in the letters, Charlotte basically indicated that her marriage to Nichols wasn't great. So perhaps he was just, uh, just... Well, yeah, he probably just didn't want that to become public knowledge, really. Mm. You know, you're married to a celebrated author. And um, if she is being disparaging about you in letters to a friend, you know, I can... I can kind of understand that you might not want people to know about that no and i think she basically said yeah i wanted to get married and now that i'm married it's not actually that great yeah i wish i hadn't gotten married and so Mm. uh i suppose being married to a strong woman i guess he wasn't up for that (laughs) yeah (laughs) he he wasn't up to that that honor so shall we move on to looking at some poems Mm -hmm. some good writing yeah, let's, we'll hear from the sisters themselves. Exactly. So uh, I'm going to just tell you a little bit about the publication history of the Bronte's poems. One fine day in autumn 1845, Charlotte found, found, I'm doing air quotes here, an open note- notebook in Emily's writing desk. Um, being Charlotte, she read it <laughs> and was overcome by the beauty of the poems she found there. When Emily learned of Charlotte's discovery. It took her hours to calm down from this invasion of her privacy and days to agree to publication. I think one of the things that persuaded her was that at the same time, Anne revealed that she'd been secretly writing Mm -hmm. as well. So Charlotte planned a joint publication of the three sisters' work and around 20 poems by each sister were chosen and Charlotte found a publisher. You can see which of the sisters is the driving force behind this. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, the poems were published by a small firm called Atlot and Jones, who accepted, but at the poet's own risk. Uh, the volume was published in 1846 with the three choosing three unusual male pseudonyms for the project. Uh, so Charlotte was Carré, uh, Emily was Ellis, and 
Anne was Acton, all with the surname Bell. Where have we heard that surname mm. before? Um, well, it was probably inspired by Arthur Bell Nichols, um, the Parsonage Curate. Only three copies of the volume were sold, but each of the sisters went on to work on their novels in secret the year after. So it's quite likely that even though the volume wasn't a success initially, it kind of helped spur them on to writing novels. Yeah, um, it gave them motivation and something, you know, it's like when you have a little project yeah. to work on gives like, you a bit more energy to move on to something a bit be bigger yeah like us with this podcast you're, yeah. hoping, you're hoping to get on the radio with this oh yeah this yeah. is gonna launch our radio careers i think so yeah, <laughs> yeah. we're gonna be shock jocks this time yeah um so and also Anne bronte um if you remember from our episode Anne bronte was the only sister to have her poems independently published in magazines and newspapers after they had gone on this failed um, uh, venture in writing poetry together and then published their own books. She continued to write poetry herself and submit it into the world and was successful in having her work received very well. Okay. Oh, so yeah. that's quite nice. Poetry was very special to Anne Bronte. Yes. It certainly was. Um, you say a failed venture, and it was sort of commercially, but it, we are still left with the work today. Um, uh -huh. So we're going to go through some of the poems, a poem uh, by each of the sisters, and then kind of talk about it a little bit in our own enthusiastic way. Uh, the first poem is one that we briefly mentioned in the Wuthering Heights episode, and that is called No Coward Soul is Mine by Emily Bronte. No coward soul is mine, no trembler in the world's storm-troubled sphere. I see heaven's glories shine, and faith shines equal, arming me from fear. O God within my breast, almighty ever-present deity, life that in me hast rest, as I undying life have power in thee. Vain are the thousand creeds that move men's hearts unutterably vain, worthless as withered weeds or idlest froth amid the boundless main. To waken doubt in one, holding so fast by the infinity, so surely anchored on the steadfast rock of immortality. With wide embracing love, the spirit animates eternal years, pervades and broods above, changes, sustains, dissolves, creates and rears. Though earth and moon were gone, and suns and universes ceased to be, and thou were left alone, every existence would exist in thee. There is not room for death, nor atom that his might could render void, since thou art being and breath, and what thou art may never be destroyed. So, okay, so some of my thoughts on this poem are, well, according to Charlotte, these were the last ever lines written by Emily before her death at the age of 30. And were they really, or were her last lines maybe about Charlotte wanting to murder her? Oh yeah, they maybe they did get burned. <laughs> those last lines, <laughs> yes. Anyway, we I think we finished with that. Uh, yeah. No, this mm. I don't think so. Um, this is appropriate because the poem seems to be to me about Emily's soul being steadfast because she keeps God within it. Mm -hmm. uh, she contrasts herself her godliness and, and God himself with the overall vanity of humanity. Uh, mm -hmm. In the later stanzas, the focus is on God's eternalness next to the mortality of men and other creations such as the sun and stars. Initially, I sort of felt that this poem 
kind of contrasted quite heavily with the nihilism that we can see in Wuthering Heights. However, maybe um, when I thought about it for a while, I began to think that maybe the main characters within the book, you know, Heathcliff, Cathy, and Hinley, these are ones that are evidence or of the people that have vain creeds in their souls and hearts. Uh-huh. I think within the poem, there's a sense of God uh, being uh, actually being a maternal force, a feminine force, in that she is a deity that creates and rears. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps Evel- Emily, being motherless, was turning to God for these aspects of her life that might have been missing and that made her feel isolated. I don't know. That's just me, you know, supposing. I feel that there is a strong sense of isolation in the poem and that the focus within it on spirituality maybe helps to form a link with other romantic poets, you know, Keats and Shelley and Byron and, and that ilk. Yeah, that poem, um, just looking back at it, doesn't strike me as someone who's trying to relate herself to other people, mm. which makes me think a bit, actually, I know this is Emily's poem, but it makes me think of Uh, the way that Charlotte Bronte wrote Helen Burns and Jane Eyre Mm. as someone who is so, so devoted and so concerned with what will come after life that she just thinks, okay, anything in this earthly plane to Mm. me doesn't matter as much as what's waiting for me. And that's what I'm going to put my energy into thinking about. And that's the impression that I get. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you're right there. There's, there's a, um, yeah, there's not a sense of her connecting with other people at all. Is there? It's, um, it's like my connection is with God and God alone. Um, that's what's important to me. Yeah. And as I, I said earlier, she was famous for being very reclusive. She didn't mm. like leaving home very often. She uh, didn't have a lot of friends mm-hmm. to be honest. So it's, I think quite easy to see that maybe she found a lot of comfort in religion. Uh, I think you've chosen a poem by Andronte for us to look at. Yeah, speaking of uh, people who are reclusive and don't like to leave home, that was not Anne Bronte um, herself. And maybe you'll see why when I read you this poem. It's called The Consolation by Anne Bronte. Though bleak these woods and damp the ground with fallen leaves so thickly strewn and cold the wind that wanders round with wild and melancholy moan. There is a friendly roof I know might shield me from the wintry blast. There is a fire whose ruddy glow will cheer me for my wanderings past. And so though still wherever I roam cold stranger glances meet my eye Though when my spirit sinks in woe, unheeded swells the unbidden sigh. Though solitude endured too long, bids youthful joys too soon decay, makes mirth a stranger to my tongue and overclouds my noon of day. When kindly thoughts that would have way flow back discouraged to my breast, I know there is, though far away, a home where heart and soul may rest. Warm hands are there that clasped in mine. The warmer heart will not belie. While mirth and truth and friendship shine in smiling lip and earnest eye, the ice that gathers round my heart may there be thawed and sweetly then 
The joys of youth that now depart will come to cheer my soul again. Though far I roam, this thought shall be my hope, my comfort everywhere. While such a home remains to me, my heart shall never know despair. Well, that beautifully read. Thank you. It's quite a nice poem. I chose this poem of Anne's. She wrote a lot of poetry and it was all very thematic poetry. You know, she writes a lot about adventure and happiness and um, nature and different things, but I chose it because it highlights how fondly she thought of the parsonage and Haworth and her family, even though she was usually not there. And in fact, she wrote this poem in November, 1843 when she was working for the Robinsons at Thorpe Green. Mm -hmm. uh, she would often go away with them to Scarborough for seaside holidays. And she enjoyed time being part of that family and life. But for all its deficiencies, she always had a soft spot for home, no matter where she went. And I think I can relate to that as someone who doesn't live where I'm from. Yeah, I imagine you can, you know, do, do you feel sometimes any kind of consolation thinking about home? Or, sometimes I think yeah. I was actually thinking about those two poems I mean strange stranger I mean you you were talking about it kind of connecting to your own sort of life and roaming very far from your own home as you have done um I was thinking about our current kind of situation here with the pandemic and being in lockdown and do you think there's anything we can see in these poems that you know be consoled by in our current situation because they are very much about the the joy of home even if we're away from it which not many of us are at the moment um or also about isolation and how we can maybe feel reconciled to our own kind of isolation do you do you see anything within them yeah i think if you were going to take something away from these poems that could be a comfort in these times of, mm. of the pandemic it's yeah. that to take solace and happy memories, perhaps. Uh, yeah. And to, I know it's difficult to look forward to anything right now mm -hmm. and to find anything to be happy about in the future. But um, knowing that um, we've all had good times and surely good times will come again. Yeah. And to take pleasure and the little things maybe. So Emily um, definitely, it, for her isolation, she took a lot of um, comfort in religion, which I'm sure a lot more people are doing now in the pandemic, turning to more inside inward towards personal beliefs to get them through, which is great if that works for you, um, or discovering new hobbies, um, reconnecting with friends, family, yeah, finding connection in with people in slightly sort of different ways, maybe. Uh, well, my wife is a Christian, and uh, yeah, I think she certainly finds solace. I think I would say in her beliefs at the moment. I think. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I maybe she'll like the Emily's poem then. Uh, yeah, I think she probably would. I don't think I've ever showed it to her, but you know, she if she downloads the podcast, which I would encourage her to uh, do, uh, she she has. Um, he has you reading it. He has me reading it. Oh. Yes, yeah. So, uh, should I read one more poem? Yes. So, um, leading into this next poem, I would like to note that Scarborough 
by the sea, not Haworth, is where Anne passed away mm-hmm. and was laid to rest by Charlotte. Yes, that, that is definitely true. And that is relevant here because this poem is called On Death of Anne Bronte by Charlotte Bronte. Um, and it goes something like this. There's little joy in life for me and little terror in the grave. I've lived the parting hour to see of one I would have died to save. Calmly to watch the failing breath, wishing each sigh might be the last, longing to see the shade of death o'er those beloved features cast. The cloud, the stillness, that must part, the darling of my life from me, and then to thank God from my heart, to thank him well and fervently. Although I knew that we had lost the hope and glory of our life, and now benighted tempest-tossed must bear alone the weary strife. Ah, nice. Nice. It's short. Shorter than a lot of Charlotte's (laughs) other poems. That may have been part of my motivation. (laughs) Choosing it. (laughs) Why else did you you choose this? Well, clearly, one of the reasons for choosing it was the book that we've discussed earlier on. Um, So the speaker of this poem is clearly Charlotte Bronte. And in it, she shows her grief at seeing another sister die. Um, She covers watching her sister's last breath, um, her sadness at her passing, but also happiness that Anne is now with God. And, you know, there's one point, I think, in the poem where she's kind of hoping that death comes, but I see that more as that she's hoping for some relief for her sister and relief from the tension and hope that this will, you know, finally be over. The last line is possibly the saddest, as again, we come back to the theme of isolation, as she talks about being alone now, which was true, as all of her siblings had died. And you must, we should remember, really, that she'd had some other siblings as well that had also died in childhood. Mm -hmm. He is the last one. To me, personally, this is just an opinion, it doesn't seem like a poem written by a murderer about their victim but maybe that's what's so clever about it. Uh, uh, information. Oh, what I said. Yeah. Well, I should insert also that Anne's poem that I just read before the consolation, it was changed to be titled Lines Written from Home by Charlotte uh, after she passed away, even though they weren't written from Haworth at all. Uh, which is weird. And that's another one of the weird unsisterly things that Charlotte did to Anne, you know, aside from making sure her work couldn't be republished. Yeah, she uh, re-edited she changed, it. She re-edited The Tenant of Wildfell Hall. She she changed the titles of a lot of Anne Bronte's poems, which is strange because why? Yeah. <laughs> why would you do that? Um, especially knowing we know that poetry was very important to Anne Bronte and it was part of her livelihood. Mm, she'd get paid she'd get paid money she was like a published writer making money from her poems and so to know that something is so important to another person and then after they pass away to just start changing stuff around and then she didn't even change it to something accurate yeah it's very strange it's very very type a i think we might call that yeah it's quite weird maybe she had free time a lot of free time now there's a thing also i read in a an article um actually i believe it's part of a book it's called the psychoanalysis of charlotte bronte by lucille dooley 
And it claims that Charlotte lavished all her love and affection on Emily, but Emily in turn put all her love and affection on Anne. So Charlotte may have been resentful of this, you know, this um, jealousy from giving all of your love to somebody who then like doesn't really reciprocate. Yeah, so it gives much. it to somebody else. Yeah, so Emily was Charlotte's favorite sister, but Anne was Emily's favorite sister. Yeah. That's not even a piece of gossip or anything that's quite agreed upon. Okay. By so most we, people. So. so we won't be seeing that on blind gossip, you don't think? No, that is fact. Okay. Would be. So we talk a lot about all of these motivations that Charlotte may have had. And I don't think she murdered anybody. Surely I don't think she murdered Anne, but I think maybe she certainly had a strong personality, obviously Mm. to achieve what she achieved. And really, I highly doubt any of the Brontes would have made it into the history books at all if Charlotte hadn't taken it upon herself to really push them into writing and kind of put them in the spotlight and force them a little bit. And it just seems to me, the more we, I think we've learned quite a lot about the Brontes now doing the series and the opinion I get of Charlotte now is someone who was maybe a little bit type A, Mm -hmm. definitely very headstrong, a real like um, go-getter, but she was also, I think, quite. Yeah, that maybe she was looking for something to keep driving her forward, maybe, and that possibly uh, makes her seem like something of a kind of busybody to us but um, ultimately the the reason that we know the Bronte so well is maybe because because of Charlotte and because she was quite so pushy and, and driven and wanted when she found her sister's poems she wanted them to be published and she and she maybe had a less romantic idea of what literature was than her certainly than Emily and um, she felt that it should be out there. And the, this lack of affection that you describe maybe was the reason behind that, but, but it, it gave us all their work, maybe? Or is that, is that too simplistic, do you think? No, no. I would say, I mean, sometimes it is, people can be complicated, but sometimes I, I think there are situations that aren't that complicated. And I think, mm-hmm. I know, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a, a psychologist and I'm not a historian, so I probably shouldn't even be giving my opinion on this. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Sometimes I just think, you know, if it seems like it's that simple, it, it probably is. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's quite a good note to sort of finish our, our talk about the poems and, and the crimes of Charlotte Bronte, but also um, our series on the Brontes as well. Have you enjoyed doing these four episodes? Five, if you include the little preview we did. How, what are your, you know, your final thoughts, your final feelings on uh, on what we've done here, and on the books that we've it's, read? It's been so fun. It's been it's been really interesting to learn about the lives of the Brontes. It makes me want to uh, read some some more books about them, about their lives. It makes me want to read. We still have not read Agnes Gray. At least I haven't. That would be great to get into at one point. It would be great to read Charlotte Bronte's other books. So mm-hmm. Dillette, Shirley, those are meant to be very good. Well, what do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, I I'm really pleased that we've that we've managed to do this, and it's you know I've learned a lot about the the three sisters about Branwell as well. Maybe not quite so much about Arthur Bell Nichols, <laughs> judging by the the crimes of Charlotte Bronte. But yeah, I've really really in, I enjoyed reading all three of the books. Certainly, the the Tenant of Wildfell Hall, which was a really sort of pleasant surprise to me to read and very very underrated I think as a novel so I think I said at the time when we did that episode that I wanted to read Agnes Grey and I still haven't done that but that's something I'm going to try and do at some point I think. Do you have a favorite Bronte now has your has your favorite Bronte changed from the Um, time all the way back when when we did the preview to now? It's probably Anne I think because I think I like that book the best. I think she's, I sort of see her as in the middle slightly. So if you see Emily as the the very romantic one and uh, Charlotte as the very practical one, then possibly Anne has the nice balance of, of the two. And I find that quite appealing, I think, in a person. Mm-hmm. So possibly her. Now, if I was going to read one more book by the Brontes, then I would I would pick Agnes Grey, definitely. Yeah, I agree, I think. And as we said, because of Charlotte, and it's that there's no doubt about that because of Charlotte, Anne Bronte is not as well known as Emily or Charlotte, even though Anne was more well known while they were alive. We didn't know anything about her. We didn't know any. I had no idea what The Tenant of Wildfell Hall was even about when we started reading it. I literally, I hadn't looked up a plot summary on Wikipedia. I didn't, I didn't have any clue and it was so so unexpectedly good and ahead of its time yeah yeah. and it it gave me a completely different impression of Anne Bronte than I had before so um yeah team Anne yeah yeah definitely hashtag team Anne yeah and um that's the end of how's the water isn't it we're not doing anymore now we finish the Brontes isn't that right what isn't it isn't it isn't it the end <laughs> no okay so no i was trying to say no it, it's not the end of how's the water the um i'm sure those of you listening will be very happy to hear so it is the end of the the brontes uh, series for now although we might return and have a look at some of the books that we that we were just talking about um but we're going to be moving on and doing a new series so please watch this space i'd also like to sort of say a couple of admin points as well we now have an email address so if you have any questions for us or any suggestions of books that you would like us to read or things that you would like us to cover or you know you want to point out things that we've got wrong (laughs) we're more than happy to read them and our email address is how's what is it do you know is that how's the water podcast at gmail.com that sounds about right to me yes so it is how's the water podcast at gmail.com and feel free to contact us there so if you've made it this far in our series we're assuming that you've enjoyed our what you have heard so in return could you give us a five-star review on whichever application you have listened to us on? That would help us reach other people. And also, please like tell your friends 
those of those that might be interested in what we're doing as well because we would like to reach as many people as possible thank yeah, you and we hope that you've enjoyed the content that we've shared with you relating to the bronte sisters we're moving away from that uh in future but this was a fun little series to do and we hope that if you were already interested in the brontes that maybe you learned something new or you just found this very entertaining and if you had never really looked into the Brontes much beyond their books. We hope that you found them very interesting and um, that you took a lot away from this. So um, thank you for sticking with us. Yes, thank you very much to all of you. On that note, I would like to say goodbye and see you soon. Yep, see you next time. Yep, bye-bye. Bye. Bye.